Hello and welcome to the IT Governance Podcast for Friday the 28th of October 2022. Later on, our CEO Alan Calder will give an overview of the cyber threat landscape and provide more detail about the layered defences organisations need in order to meet complex threats. But first, here's the news. More than six months after the EU and US announced that they'd reached an agreement in principle for a new mechanism governing transatlantic data flows, President Biden has signed an executive order to implement the EU-US data privacy framework. A White House fact sheet explains that the EU-US DPF implements new privacy and civil liberties safeguards that will provide the European Commission with a basis to adopt a new adequacy determination which will restore an important, accessible and affordable data transfer mechanism under EU law. The EU General Data Protection Regulation permits international transfers of EU residents' personal data under three circumstances. First, where the destination country has an adequacy decision, demonstrating that it provides a suitable legal level of protection for EU residents' personal data. Second, through standard contractual clauses or binding corporate rules. Or third, if an approved certification mechanism is complied with. Until July 2020, transfers of EU residents' personal data to the US were governed by the EU-US Privacy Shield. However, the Privacy Shield was ruled invalid by the European Court of Justice following legal action by the Austrian privacy campaigner Max Schrems and his organisation Neub, or None of Your Business, who objected that the Privacy Shield didn't protect EU residents from US mass surveillance programmes. Since the Schrems 2 case, organisations have had to rely on standard contractual clauses or binding corporate rules, alongside supplementary technical measures to protect personal data, while talks about a replacement for the privacy shield continued. So, what do Max Schrems and Neub, whose efforts caused the demise of the EU-US DPF's two predecessors, the Privacy Shield and the Safe Harbour Scheme, say? Well, unsurprisingly, they're not convinced that the new agreement addresses their original concerns, not least because the EU-US DPF doesn't actually require US organisations to comply with the EU GDPR. For example, Neub explains they don't even need a legal basis for processing such as consent. Schrems commented, We will analyse this package in detail, which will take a couple of days. At first sight, it seems that the core issues were not solved, and it'll be back to the European Court of Justice sooner or later. Of course, the new framework won't apply to the UK because of Brexit. However, the Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, Michelle Donnellan, and the US Secretary of Commerce, Gina M. Raimondo, issued a joint statement on the 7th of October, the day President Biden issued his executive order, to launch a UK-US comprehensive dialogue on technology and data. The statement announced significant progress on UK-US data adequacy discussions and said that the UK and US were working together to ensure that a deal on UK-US data adequacy upholds the rights of data subjects, facilitates responsible innovation, gives individuals in both countries access to the services that suit them, reduces burdens on businesses and delivers better outcomes for people. Meanwhile, on the subject of GDPR mechanisms for international data transfers, the first data protection seal has at last been approved by the EDPB, or European Data Protection Board. EuroPrivacy, a research group funded by the European Commission and Switzerland, is the first organisation to have been approved to assess and certify data controllers and processors processing is in line with the EU GDPR's requirements. Others will doubtless follow soon. A new ransomware campaign has been targeting Ukrainian and Polish transportation and logistics companies. According to the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Center, the previously unidentified payload, which is labeled Prestige Ransomware in its ransom note, was found to have targeted several organizations in the space of an hour on the 11th of October. 
Many victims had previously fallen victim to Russian state-aligned cyber attacks and the Foxblade or Hermetic Wiper malware. However, Microsoft is yet to link this ransomware campaign to a known threat group and is continuing its investigations. The researchers found that the attacker likely had highly privileged credentials from a previous compromise, which they used to deploy the ransomware across the victim environments using three methods. In the first two, the ransomware payload is copied to the admin's share of a remote system and impact it is used to either remotely create a Windows scheduled task on target systems to execute the payload, or remotely invoke an encoded PowerShell command on target systems to execute the payload. And in the third, the ransomware payload is copied to an Active Directory domain controller and deployed to systems using using the default domain group policy object. The ransomware can then encrypt files with certain extensions. As with all malware attacks, this initial campaign is unlikely to be the last. It's very likely that the ransomware will be deployed again, especially as the war in Ukraine continues and Ukrainian organizations and allies are targeted. Microsoft provides a set of defensive steps that organizations can take and is monitoring the activity under the name DEV0960. That was the news. Now, we know that a defense-in-depth approach to cybersecurity provides the layered defenses that organizations need to combat increasingly complex threats. But what should those layers entail? Over the coming weeks, IT Governance's CEO Alan Calder will talk you through the stages of a cyber defense-in-depth strategy. This time, the first layer, detection. So, um, the World Economic Forum a bit earlier on this year said what for me is kind of an obvious thing looking ahead to 2022-23, that's the rest of this year and next year, cybersecurity must be seen as a strategic business issue that impacts decision-making. And when you look across the threat landscape, the organizational attack surface, way in which the compliance landscape is changing to reflect both of those and what's happening on the supply side, uh, it kind of bears out that top-level message. Ransomware will attack a device every two seconds by uh, 2031, up from every 11 seconds last year. Um, cybercrime damages increasing by about 15% per annum to $10.5 trillion by 2025. It's up from $3 trillion back in 2015. So big changes on the in the threat landscape. You've got increasingly sophisticated uh, cybercriminals, serious organized crime, um, often supported by or operating uh, within a cover created by uh, nation states. Um, you've got uh, cyber warfare, which is a kind of warfare that doesn't actually require to be declared. So um, unlike, you know, special military operations, which are not yet a war because nobody's declared war, cyber warfare is something that kicks off uh, in advance of traditional war, even uh, non-traditional war takes place in the, um, in the instances. Uh, and, uh, and it's an issue for all organizations because cyber warfare has ripple effects which spread right the way across uh, all other organizations which are connected into what's going on on the web. Uh, digitization, migration to cloud, accelerated massively by the pandemic across the industrialized world, uh, has created a huge expansion in the attack surface. Uh, and that means there are even more weaknesses and vulnerabilities in technology, people, and process than there were two or three years ago. Uh, Internet of Things uh, has, has added to that. Uh, whether it's in uh, at the simple level refrigerators, but at the more complex level, uh, webcams, motor cars, um, uh, e-bikes, all which have some form of connectivity, all of them uh, inadequately protected. Uh, and so you get criminals knowing that there are a lot of different ways they can get into uh, um, the target end user market. 
supply chain is a good route in, managed service providers whose security is inadequate provide a way for an attacker to get it, multiple end users by breaching uh, one piece of software or one MSP. Imagine if an, a managed service provider who has, say, a thousand desktop customers with tens of thousands of uh, users gets breached and something goes out through uh, their software update, which is which is corrupt uh, from an attacker's point of view. They reach a huge hinterland of uh, systems which uh, they can they can leverage. Many organizations' governance, risk management, and compliance around cybersecurity is bluntly uh, inadequate, and you see the consequences of that in the newspapers, uh, in the specialist journals, day in and day out. And as a result of that, the compliance landscape is changing. So um, we see uh, data protection, privacy regulations like GDPR, and you know, data protection is the other side of cybersecurity. If you have a cyber breach, it usually involves personal data. If there's a personal data breach, there's been some kind of breach of technical and, and operational uh, measures. So data protection legislation, privacy rules, uh, India is bringing in a, a new piece of legislation to deal with cybersecurity and privacy. Um, then there is legislation which focuses on specifically cybersecurity, so network information security directive across uh, the European Union and the UK, uh, the, um, uh, the, the central infrastructure security agency in the United States, all focusing on very specific uh, risks around technical cybersecurity in critical national infrastructure. And we're seeing a growing set of requirements around organizations reporting on cyber incidents. Uh, so uh, GDPR already requires incidents to be reported to regulators where personal data is uh, uh, compromised. The SEC is finalizing a rule which will require organizations listed on the three SEC-regulated stock exchanges in the U.S. to not only report incidents within probably 72 hours of them occurring, report ransomware payments, uh, but also to provide uh, evidence uh, disclosure around how the board governs cybersecurity, how the board makes sure that uh, it's got effective measures in place, it's correctly directing management uh, to deal with cybersecurity issues across the organization. And we'll see that proliferate across all organizations because of the uh, the size of the threat and the uh, the weakness in the weaknesses in the attack surface when you think about how you're going to deal with that if you look at the supply side of cybersecurity well there's a global shortage of cybersecurity and data privacy uh, professionals running somewhere in the order of 2.7 to 3 million people the supply market is fragmented lots and lots of Small companies with different solutions which don't fit together make it difficult as a buyer to work out how to um, find a staff awareness training product which works alongside a vulnerability assessment tool which works alongside a governance uh, framework. Lots of small single solution businesses and of course cyber insurance is becoming much more expensive with uh, ever fewer organizations prepared to provide uh, cyber insurance. So significant changes happening in the market and it's going to get worse very much more quickly because the market is responding all the time to very rapid evolution in the uh, uh, the bad actor side of uh, what's going on. Lloyds of London just instructing uh, members that any uh, reinsurance policies from May, from March 2023 um, will have to exclude damages arriving from cyber war. Uh, cyber war is a very gray area. Uh, um, anything which involves nation state could be held to be uh, cyber war uh, and that could mean that you'll be able to get cyber 
insurance, but actually when you need it most, uh, it simply won't apply. So how are you going to demonstrate to uh, clients, to stakeholders, that what you've got in place is uh, adequate defense in depth if you can't point to the cyber insurance policy, which you know will pay out when things go really pear-shaped. So um, it's going to be something that organizations have to do and you have to do much sooner than spring of next year because uh, by March 31st, 1st April, when cover is no longer going to be applied to cyber war, it's no good you then having to spend six months getting yourself into shape. You need to be in shape as quickly as you possibly can. So serious changes coming in organizational risk profile, um, and that's happening at the same time, as I said, that threat actors are becoming more and more sophisticated. So uh, we're used to talking about non-target specific attacks. They look for vulnerabilities. So there's recently a company that was hit three times in a couple of hours. The first two attacks were by two different attackers focusing on the same vulnerability, came within 20 seconds of one another. Uh, the third attack was a repeat by the first organization a couple of hours later because uh, they knew that uh, um, there would be a different vulnerability they could exploit. This is becoming common. Uh, attackers coming back, you pay the ransom, they come back three weeks later because they know that you haven't fixed the vulnerability. So it's non-target specific. If you're a larger organization, they might be focused on how do they breach your systems. Um, uh, serious organized crime. But on top of that, you've got to think about competitors. You've got to think about natural disasters. All of these are threats which can disrupt uh, the day-to-day -day operation of your business, which increasingly, because of digitization and migration to cloud initiatives, means that you're very dependent on uh, being able to operate in the digital domain. Tax come through people, through processes, weaknesses in processes, like um, you don't have a process around uh, uh, proper updating of passwords or password length or complexity, uh, exploiting weaknesses in technology, vulnerabilities that are not patched, operating systems out of, out of support. And the threats are hugely varied, whether it's malware, uh, a web attack, an attack on your website, um, an attack on somebody arriving on a website. Um, it's a man in the middle attack, which uh, places a, um, an attacker in the middle of an email uh, conversation because the conversation is not encrypted. Uh, it's exploit kits or ransomware, which is downloaded onto a system. Uh, the, the, the quality of attacks is increasing all the time, particularly as threat actors specialize so that you have some uh, criminals who specialize in acquiring access to networks. They will sell that access on to uh, um, affiliates who will deploy attack code. Uh, they will pay part of their um, uh, their winnings, if you like, uh, to the people who created the attack code from them. So you get specialization inside the, um, the threat actor side of what's going on. Targets are intellectual property, uh, payment card data, personal data, money, reputation. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the simple uh, form of, uh, hello, you've just joined the business, but I still need you to buy £5,000 worth of Amazon vouchers because I'm in this meeting. I haven't got time to do so. Would you rush out and do it? Uh, that type of um, uh, email business compromise is as much of a uh, attack on the integrity of a business. Uh, it's a very quick way for an organization of criminals to get £5,000 worth of Amazon vouchers, untraceable, do with what they like, um, uh, as is uh, intercepting a payment, as is 
uh, getting you to pay a ten million pound ransom. And, and the average ransom in health sector in America, for instance, now is ten million dollars. So the, 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 what criminals are stealing is whatever they can monetize, whatever they can take from you and turn into uh, something valuable that they can move around the world uh, that's untraceable. So how do you deal with that? You've got to build defense in depth. Uh, a simple single layer of defense just does not cut it. Today, cyber criminals are way too sophisticated. Uh, the attack is way too automated for you to assume that just doing one or two things is going to keep you safe. Um, and your thinking around defense in depth has to, first of all, detect attacks. You have to build protection in against the attacks that get through that first layer of, layer of defense. You have to then think much more structurally around crown jewels, how you build and manage on a uh, risk and reward basis uh, defenses around those crown jewels. You have to think about how you're going to respond uh, when your core defenses get beaten. And then you have to think about recovery, and particularly when recovery is when you might be thinking about cyber insurance. Cyber insurance, frankly, is only a mitigation to the expense of recovery. It's not a defense uh, of its own. You should think about cyber defense as nothing else than a recovery uh, mitigation. So layered defenses, putting layered defenses in place mean that you can build the right combination of physical, technical, and administrative controls that help safeguard the organization. Because more than one of those layers are unquestionably going to be, you're going to be breached. That's a racing certainty. Every organization uh, is breached. Uh, only a few make it into the press. There's half a dozen of them in the press uh, every day. Uh, yesterday, there was a hospital in the southeast of Paris uh, breached, uh, ransomware deployed. 10 million euro ransom demanded. Uh, management of the hospital said, no, we're not paying. Paying ransoms is a bad thing. It just encourages you guys. Um, so uh, they're busy trying to work out how to get the system back up and running. They're turning patients away. That's not a good thing for hospitals to be doing. Nurses are uh, moving data around on paper, um, trying to access the data they need to manage patient care on paper. You can't get it on the system because the system's locked down. Just one of many Example, 66% of healthcare institutions in the United States in the last 12 months have had a uh, cyber attack of one sort or another. It's, it's a serious and major issue for all organizations today. So uh, a brief look at the five stages of a defense in depth array. Level one, detect the attack. Um, your most vulnerable internet facing resources are your software, your applications, your websites, your firewalls, uh, your operating systems, your people. Uh, your attackers are looking to exploit vulnerabilities in one or other or both of those. Remember, your attacker needs to be successful one time. Uh, you need to be successful 100% of the time. You've got to stop 100% of the attacks which are coming thousands of times a day, um, and the attacker needs one attack to be successful. And mostly the technical defenses will work because uh, you're operating an automated system which is programmed to identify and close down uh, millions of identified known vulnerabilities. The problem is there are some vulnerabilities which are not yet known. Uh, some of them are known. The vendor develops a patch. You have to deploy it. But the attacker also knows what that uh, vulnerability is because in a public website, uh, and they can put together an attack quickly. Um, if they've known about the vulnerability before it goes into a public website, they will already have made progress in crafting their attacks. So um, you 
You have attacks coming at you before you even know that you have a vulnerability. Uh, but still many organizations can deal with those. The ones who are alert, who have a continual vulnerability scanning, an update process in place. Um, and that's why so many attacks today are focused on individuals. It's much harder to program individuals as to what they should and shouldn't click on uh, when they're dealing with uh, what's on a website, what comes into the inbox, when they're working perhaps across multiple uh, endpoint devices on a laptop, on a workstation, on, a, um, on, a, on an iPad or an iPhone, all of them linked into your corporate uh, systems. So stage one, detect means you need continual vulnerability scanning going on across your internet facing resources and you need ongoing anti-phishing training uh, to make sure that your uh, staff are thoroughly updated. It's no good teaching them about phishing once a year because what you taught them a year ago will be different in three years time. On average, you need to run a refresher program for anti-phishing training on about a quarterly basis. I'll come back to that. Stage two, some attacks are going to get through. Um, it can be a matter of seconds before an attack which is successful leads to the download of malware onto a system. So you need to make sure that um, you've got inside your organization people who are appropriately trained and you've got instant response processes and cybersecurity controls that enable you to respond extremely quickly to those attacks which get through your first layer of defense. You need people trained to go, eek, I shouldn't have done that, uh, not to hide it away for a couple of hours, but immediately to contact uh, through whatever your design process is, a reporting process which can um, a triage, which can escalate and triage attacks, which knows how to deal with uh, cybersecurity breaches. You need robustness in your response mechanisms. That's all well and good. That's dealing at the front edge, your first two layers of defense. But, but how are you going to deal with the broader range of attacks which come at particularly your crown jewels? And the answer is that you need to do more than simply put in place these kind of level one and two basic protections. You need to identify what your core assets are. You need to work out what the impact on the organization of a compromise to their confidentiality, integrity, and availability will be. And you need to think about putting in place a program of uh, controls which will enable you to apply um, appropriate mitigation to those risks which it's not in the organization's worthwhile, not, for, not worthwhile for the organization to take. Cybersecurity is an ongoing process. You need to be continually evaluating, maintaining, and revising what you have in place. Then at a strategic level, um, you've got to recognize that you're going to get infiltrated all the way through that. You're going to have attacks which come at you through the physical domain, through the digital domain, um, that come through the hardware, and you're going to need to have a way of dealing with those. Um, you're going to have attacks coming through your supply chain. Your, the impact on your organization could affect the whole organization. So you need to be thinking about business continuity. You need to be thinking about what you're doing in terms of your supply chain. How do you limit disruption uh, and impact on the organization of a major breach? And then finally, of course, recovery. Um, if it all goes wrong, how are you going to recover? Um, your business continuity plan enables you to keep operating. How do you get your systems back up and running, get back to business as usual? Business as usual is a stage beyond disaster recovery. That requires cost. Um, that's typically where you turn to your cyber insurance policy and say, right, you need to help me pay for some of what I've had to deal with, but particularly pay for getting back to business as usual. Shouldn't be thinking about 
cyber insurance was doing anything other than that. Thank you, Alan. And that's it for this time. As ever, you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod, that's my account, or at ITGovernance. We'll return in a fortnight, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity defense in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk. Thank you.